Okay. Some, we've sung about God, we've sung about his amazing grace, we've sung about that even when we don't see it, he's working. And I think often at church we're often talking about the theory almost, we're reading scripture and we're, we're, we're hearing about how God works and what his character is, but sometimes it's great to have it fleshed out and we have it fleshed out in the form of testimony because then we see how God works in individual lives and we see those, uh, the character of God and we see how he works through individuals. So I've asked Nick, if you'd like to come up, Nick, and take a seat, and Anne-Marie as well, you come up and take a seat. We're going to talk to them about how God's worked in their life. Don't be nervous, you're among friends. We can, but there's camera up there as well, so. You'll only see the back of him anyway, whatever happens. Nick, fortunately with Nick looking for the back of the front, all, all looks good. compliment him on his choice of shoes as well. <laughs> okay, so Nick, um, Nick's uh, been with us, how long Nick, how long have you been here? Is it a year? A bit, a bit under a year I reckon. No, probably about eight months or something. Eight months, that's fine. Yeah, okay. So tell me about your background because a lot of people here wouldn't know where you've come from. Tell us a little about your background with the microphone. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about your parents. Tell me about your home. All oh, right. Uh, yes, my 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 mum and dad are divorced. Um, I chose to go with my father. This was back in when I was 15 years of age. I was going to Taruna High, and I uh, went with my dad to Adelaide. But tell us about your religious background. So your parents. What was their religious background? What, was your, what did you grow up? Um, my, my, uh, when my mum and dad got married uh, back in England, uh, actually they eloped because uh, mum's father was very well, very well off and my dad was just like a common person uh, who played in a jazz band and uh, they uh, uh, ran off to Scotland and got married. Uh, Unfortunately, um, Mum's dad disowned her. Uh, that's just the way it was, and you know. In those she was of age, wasn't she? Pun. She was. She was old enough to make that decision for herself, wasn't she? She was. Yeah, she was 19. My dad was. Sorry, my, she was 18, and he was 16. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One can understand, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> the parents' view. Uh, then they came out to Australia, uh, emigrated to Australia on the 10-pound scheme, and uh, my dad was half fair. Yeah. <laughs> Five pounds. <laughs> How humiliating. <laughs> humiliating. But, and so you grew up in a family of what kind of religious background? Uh, yes, uh, my, my dad was a Catholic background, my mum was Church of England background, and they just d decided that they weren't going to be religious. At all, okay. Yeah. So as you said, they, they, uh, you, they moved to England, you moved to England? No, we moved to Australia, oh, they right. immigrated to Australia. That's and right. I was, I was born in Brisbane. Okay, and then at age three they moved back? Is that right? Uh, when, I was, when I was three, uh, we went back to England for five years, so I remember going to school. Yeah, and was there any, in terms of your own religious view, because I often wonder this, uh, people grow up in a family where there's no religious background at all, and yet at some point you find God. Were there any, any, of, any of that in the early stages? Yes, there were some, some seeds sown, as it were. Um, I remember at a very young age looking up into the stars and thinking they're that this is awesome. And uh, yeah, just sort of getting that sense of awe at a, at a very young age, I mm -hmm. think was a little bit like a seed yeah. sown in my heart for, for God. And I think you told me that some of the songs that you sang. That's right, in, uh, in primary school in England, we used to sing songs uh, in, in the morning assembly, which were Christian based. And I always remember the, the one you probably know it, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things... Wise and wonderful. Wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Mm. <laughs> so lovely that you sing children's songs, so the children might like Ah, <laughs> what a segue. Kids can go out, but if you want to hear the rest of the next story, stay in. Okay, so your parents divorced and you went to live with your dad. Had he stayed non-religious? 
like not interested in anything? Yes, uh, uh, my, my dad, um, back in the 70s, uh, uh, became a Buddhist. Mm. You, know, to, you know, with the transcendental me meditation, uh, the gurus, all of that kind of thing that was going on in the 70s. Smoking a bit of marijuana and, you know, just becoming an alternative lifestyler. Mm. But uh, he worked very hard for all his material possessions and um, uh, he held material possessions uh, over and above, like renouncing everything and, and seeking God. Yeah. But, yeah. So it was a... But it, and how does his Buddhism or how did that whole philosophy affect you? Because you were living with him. Yes. Um, when I was... Uh, I joined the Air Force when I was 17 and uh, you know it was all very materialistic of course and uh, I got myself a nice car and uh, living a materialistic lifestyle um, not not really into the Buddhism quite so much myself um, and uh, this this car in a sense was like an idol it was a beautiful Toyota Celica but in 1974. I remember them. Yeah. And I loved it. But <laughs> when I was in the Air Force, everyone thought, you know, it's not a, it's not a Ford, it's not a Holden, you know, <laughs> it's a Toyota. Uh, but I loved it, and, and I got kind of persecuted in some respects <laughs> because one day I went out to the uh, Air Force car park to have a little drive around. It seemed a bit lower than normal. <laughs> and it wasn't going anywhere and I looked out and all my wheels had been stolen <laughs> uh, but uh, that car was an absolute nightmare because um, I, 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 I crashed it several occasions uh, well, I hit a kangaroo once um, I slammed into the back of uh, another car I was going way too fast and uh, uh, one, one day I went, went to the ski fields and my friend that I was with borrowed the car and uh, a couple of hours later, came back and confessed that uh, uh, the car had rolled over and smashed the, the roof and everything else. And it was just so did all of that, in terms of where you were in life, is that what led you? Because you told me then you, you headed to India. So at some point, you've had some realisation that your Celica wasn't at all. Yes. Uh, I, I was also smoking a bit of marijuana and uh, I started to sort of think about alternatives to materialism. Mm. And so uh, I opened myself up to, to the Buddhism philosophy. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day I decided that um, I was not being, not being truthful by going to work every day in an environment where I was in charge of um, aircraft instruments. So I dobbed myself in. I, I, said to the, I said to the sergeant, I said, I'm high on marijuana. <laughs> and I said, go and tell the commanding officer. So he told the commanding officer and I was taken before the commanding officer. <clears throat> and he said, if, if, you know, if you promise to give it up, we'll keep you on, otherwise we'll have to discharge you. And I said, well, I... I think you have to discharge me. And so... Uh, so you manipulated the situation to get you out of that? To get me out of it. Yep. It's out of a six-year contract I, I got out after three years. Yep. And then you decided to go to India. What were you expecting to find there? Uh, well, I went... I, I bought a ticket to go to India. And I sort of chickened out halfway. And, but then in the end, I... I went, and uh, you know, for me it was a big, a big step because it meant commitment to finding a path that might lead to enlightenment or God. Mm -hmm. So, and so, what happened? So, so, what happened when you got there? What did you do in India? I joined the the, uh, the Buddhist monastery in Nepal uh, with the Tibetan monks, and uh, there I. Um, practiced, you know, sincere, sincerely to, to be a Buddhist monk. Mm -hmm. And I was, could I have a drink of water, please? I reckon. My mouth's getting extremely dry. 
I'll stick it down there for you. Okay, so you're three months in the so monastery. What else? In a, in a monastery. Mm. Uh, but there was a, you know, there was a few, a few foreigners there, and one of them was an Italian guy. He said, he said, all oh, this Buddhism is way too much of the head. I want something more of the heart. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, yeah, that's good. I, I think I might go for something more of the heart too. Mm -hmm. So I followed him, followed him out, uh, and went to uh, uh, the Ganges, and there I found a guru. Uh, and he said uh, to read the Bhagavad Gita, which is the holy Hindu scriptures. And when you've, when you've studied that, come back, come back to me, come back to him. So uh, I went off to a place called Goa. And uh, there I was studying the Bhagavad Gita, living as a bit of a hippie. And uh, one, one evening I saw the light go on in my, in my little hut and then go off again. Where were you? So you saw the light, for it. where were you? Uh, on the beach, living, okay. on, living on the beach. Okay, so at the distance you saw your hut. I saw my hut, yeah. uh, light go on and went off again and I went to my hut and my money and passport had been stolen. Uh, I was saying, when Nick told me this story, I said, that must have been so demoralising, you must have felt so bad, but you didn't feel that way. No, I didn't. I thought, well, this is like a ticket to, to freedom, to um, finding God. Because Buddhism is all about, isn't it? Not, not wanting things, not... Renouncing the yeah, world. Yeah, renouncing possessions. And so you had it done for you. Yes, well, <laughs> I, I, had a, I, had a big, big, I had a big backpack weighing 30 kilos full of, um, uh, well, my few, few of my worldly belongings, but also a lot of trinkets and things that I was buying and selling. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just trying to sort of make a bit of a, a bit, bit of fun, just doing a bit of trade. Um, like uh, uh, jewels from Nepal, set in um, uh, jewels from India, set in uh, silver rings from Nepal, and just sort of like selling those things. And but you actually felt good when all that was gone. I felt good when the money was gone and the passport was gone, <laughs> and then I just sold everything that I had yep. at a at a you know uh, market, mm -hmm. and then I had nothing. So what then? So then, uh, well, I, I did have a police certificate saying that my money and passport had been stolen, and I, I found that in India uh, they they honour people who renounce worldly goods and who are on the path of you know of the spiritual path. So um, I was able to travel anywhere I wanted in India on the trains without a ticket because I had this police certificate and, and the, the holy people, they, they sit on the floor and uh, so I just joined them and it was quite liberating. I could get to see all of India and when, when I arrived in a place, uh, I would sit outside a temple and people would give me a few paisa money and sometimes they would feed me and uh, it was uh, quite an interesting Mm, state of affairs, not having to worry about money and material possessions. Yeah, so you're basically sleeping out in the open often? Yes, yeah, sleep, sleeping out in the open with a, a sheet that I'd sewn up and covered my head because there were a lot of, lot of people sleeping mm. out on the street, uh, you know, in the railway stations and places like that. Yeah. And then at some point you walk into a church, you tell me a church with open doors. Yes, well before that happened, um, my father... Oh yeah, that's right. My father said that he was come and visit me on, on a trip out to England on business so that he'd be in Bombay in two weeks time. So I was sleeping in the Bombay railway station for two weeks and then uh, his trip was cancelled on the last day. <laughs> uh, and then I suddenly felt alone and I realised uh, that my journey really wasn't satisfying. I wasn't going anywhere. And uh, I realized that I was actually confused as to the path, the spiritual path that I should be taking in order to find God. Uh, and uh, in my confusion and in that sense of loneliness, I called out to God. Yeah. I said, do you want to know what I said to God? Yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, I know you're there, but I just don't know what to call you or 
you know, what your name is. Mm. I'm giving up my search because I'm confused, but you reveal yourself to me. And that same day in Bombay, I went to write a letter to my dad. And, you know, it's, it's very busy. And there was a, a church building that I discovered. And the, the doors were open, but there was no one inside. So I went in, and uh, there I attempted to write a letter to my dad. Mm -hmm. but, your observations about the church. But the observations were that uh, of Jesus dying on the cross. And uh, I wondered why you know, the paintings on the wall of Jesus dying on the cross. And I wondered why people worship a criminal. And there were Bibles there, and I opened a Bible for the first time in my life. I didn't know, you know what, where to read, but I just, I read the, the book of Ruth. <laughs> Not that it was pertinent, but uh, I just, you know, I just started my quest in a sense to know about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we might disagree about how pertinent Ruth was to your story. We'll come back to that. And then uh, your father sent you some money, and you decide to buy a Bible. Yes. And where did you go to get the Bible? Well, uh, in... Where was I? In Bombay. So in, in Bombay, I went to the a Bible Society and selected a Bible. And when I went to pay for it, they said, oh, no, we can't sell you the Bible today. We're doing our stock-taking. <laughs> <laughs> So as my custom was, you know, I had to, because I had some money, uh, I was able to go and buy a passport. So I went up to Delhi, caught a train up to Delhi, and then in Delhi, uh, and the Australian Embassy was fantastic. They even gave me, gave me like 20, 20 rupees or something to, or 200 rupees or something like that. And they gave me a new passport. And uh, then uh, in, the, in Delhi, I, I went to the Bible Society and selected a Good News Bible, and I didn't know where to read, you know, just start at the beginning, so going through Genesis. And uh, I, I was reading and reading and reading. I had nothing else, much else to do. And um, I was looking for Jesus, of course, uh, but I was getting my way through. And um, um, after, after, and, and uh, I, was, I got up to Numbers and Leviticus, <laughs> and I was plowing my way through the animal sacrifices but God just kept me reading, thankfully. Why was that an issue, the animal sacrifices? Uh, because uh, as a Buddhist, I believed in reincarnation. And uh, if you kill an, an insect, you know, there's a price to pay <laughs> called, called karma. <laughs> so, it's funny, uh, we don't often think about those kind of things. You know, someone reading through the Bible and ha having an objection to that kind of re reason. Yeah, exactly, yes. Um, so the, you told me the monsoons were coming, so you make plans to go to Sri Lanka via Madras. You've heard my what story. What happened there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's right. Well, so you head down to Madras, what happens? Um, in, on my way to Sri Lanka to escape the, the monsoons, uh, I stopped in Madras and th then at the railway station uh, I, was, I, had a, I had a day before the, the next train and uh, so I was on my way to the beach but uh, as I exited the railway station there was uh, quite a few Christians uh, with banners saying Holy Convocation. So it was a, a one-week gathering of Christians from all over India for a, a one-week gathering together. And um, I, I've, I had a sense that I wanted to go and, you know, get with them so I could uh, find out more about Jesus. But as I was approaching them, uh, there was the uh, the voice that said in my in my mind, uh, "Don't be silly with these Christians. Go and don't go and talk to Christians. Go and enjoy your day down at the beach and have a bit of fun." And so I I walked past. I walked past them. Can I continue st telling the story? No, of, of course you can. Of that, yeah. Of, I of, thought that was the end of your Christian story. Of, I of that day. <laughs> Keep going. So uh, I, I, kept on, I kept on going, and as I was, I, I, I thought I'd walk down to the beach in Bombay. Was, was I in Bombay? Madras, Madras that's yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, so as I was, as I was walking, um, I saw a van in the traffic with the words on the front of it, God is love. And I've, I looked it up this morning, and I found out with the reference. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 
verse 8 and 16, God is love. Mm -hmm. And I was meditating on that and I was thinking, how do I know that God loves me? And uh, as I was sitting on the beach, um, three Indian sisters in Christ uh, saw me there with a, a Bible on my lap and my long hair and my hippie beads. And they said, are you a Christian? And this is the first time, uh, I've been there in, in India a year at that stage, and this is the first time any, I, I had talked to any women. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a segregation of the sexes. So I thought, well, this is, this is very nice. Uh, am I a Christian? No, I'm not a Christian, but uh, I'm interested to know who Jesus is. And they said, well, why don't you come to the Holy Convocation? <laughs> I said, well, actually, I don't have much time. I'm, I'm going to catch your train in the evening. They said, uh, well, before you go, why don't you come? We'll take you there. And uh, you can have some, some food and, and a shower. And, and then we'll take you to the station. And so I said, all right, then. Well, that sounds great. Good deal. Offer you couldn't refuse. I didn't realize there was, a, there was another person who caught sight of me uh, on the beach uh, who was also a part of the, the Holy Convocation. And he was praying for me. And uh, then he, he saw the three ladies come up and he felt that God was doing something. And, and as, I walked in the, as I walked in the gates of the Holy Convocation, he saw me there coming. And I, I was then surrounded by a lot of very loving Christian people wanting to know who I was. And your idea then, um, as I understand it, was, yeah, why not? I'll see what Christianity, if that's the right thing, and maybe I'll try Islam after that. Yes, well, that's right. Uh, I, I've been... Uh, I, I stayed for the evening meeting and I sort of like at 8 o'clock I, I had to be sort of catching a train but I was in the middle of 3,000 people all sitting on the floor on the mats uh, and I couldn't just sort of get up and <laughs> walk out so I, well I didn't have a ticket anyway mm. so I just thought I'll catch the, the next train next day Yep, and there was a poster that took your attention? Uh, so um, uh, now, as, as you said, there was there, uh, I had a sort of a voice speak inside of my conscience saying, stay here, ask every question you can, because here you will find the truth, yeah. with a capital T. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I looked around the compound, you know, the next day, and there was a lovely poster of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And there was the broad way that led, led to destruction and the narrow way that led to life. Mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and um, there was a little, there was a boy, pilgrim, sitting at the gate that leads to life, looking very sad with a great big burden on his back, great big 30 kilo backpack on his back, and uh, the Bible reference. And I looked it up, Matthew, uh, then there, uh, Matthew uh, 11. 28. 28. I'm getting a mental blank. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your soul. So I thought, well, Jesus must be the greatest guru who ever lived, because he's meek and lowly in heart, whereas all these other gurus that I met, they're all high and spiritual and, you know, almost unapproachable, but mm. uh, Jesus, Jesus is something different, you know, and I was wanted to know more about him. That's, that's beautiful. That really mm. is beautiful. At the same time, uh, the devil hasn't left you alone. What does he say at the time when you're exploring this and this is so lovely? That's right. Uh, during the uh, evening message, that evening, this, this is, I think, probably the second night, after the service, uh, an opportunity was given to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and raise your hand so that you can receive a, you know, a card and you can sign it and tear off the bottom section and all that sort of thing. Well, I, I, I knew I had to raise my hand. That was, that was, that was my duty to uh, accept Jesus. But um, I, I, again, I'd have to say, that, you know, the devil don't be, said, don't be silly. Uh, your father 
hates Christians. And he, he'll disown you. And besides, how do you know that, you'll, that he will really give you peace? So I couldn't raise my hand because of doubt. But the guy sitting next to me, I didn't know who he was, but he took hold of my hand and raised it up for me. <laughs> and that might be okay in India, but you don't, you don't do that in Australia. You know, we, we have our own mind in Australia. And I thought, hey, who, who, who are you? But, yeah, I'm not sure that counts. Well, my hand's up in the air. Well, okay, I may as well you know, try it out. So that was wonderful, you know, the grace of God. Um, so I signed, the, I signed the card, and my father always said, you know, if you, if you sign something, son, you, you, know, you sign your life away, you're, you're committed. And uh, there was a little tearaway portion, and I re read those Bible verses. And then, uh, can I continue? Yeah, please yeah. do. So then, um, so we're coming down to the crux of the matter, you know. Uh, basically, uh, that night at midnight, everyone was asleep. We were all sleeping on mats all, all around the compound. And uh, a, a voice kept saying to me, get on your knees and pray. Get on your knees and pray. So I wasn't going to get to sleep unless I did. So for the first time in my life, I got on my knees, as these Christian people do, and uh, I started to con confess my sins. Because <clears throat> uh, one of the Bible verses said, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 to 9. Mm. And so I, uh, I was confessing my sins and I realized what a dreadful person I really was and that my sins that I committed, God had seen and um, I was accountable for. So uh, I, I was under extreme conviction of sin. And... Uh, uh, and, it's, and it says in the Bible that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I thought, well, if my sins are cleansed and forgiven, that's a wonderful thing. But what about tomorrow? I'm a sinner. I'll continue to sin. And then, again, the voice of the Spirit of God said to me, my son not only died to forgive your sins, he rose again to live in you. And then, of course, I realized that I had to have Jesus living in me. So I said, so the question was, will I allow Jesus to come and live in me? And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. So I'll let you know that that was the very moment that Jesus came into my heart and I was born again. Mm. What a moment. Yes. You said your, uh, oh, people said about you that you changed. Yes, that's right. Well, the next day, uh, people could see that uh, the, li the light of Christ was shining in my face. And uh, they said, Nick, your face is shining. <laughs> and I said, yes, praise the Lord, I'm born again. Mm. Yes. And then? And then, uh, and then of course, they, uh, I was counseled to get baptized. And I was baptized along with a hundred other people. Um, yeah, obviously praying or reading the Bible. Uh, but then Australia, somehow you end up in Australia. How did that happen? Well, um, I was uh, in, in, in Madras there. I was allowed to, to stay on after, after the Holy Convocation and you know, study the Word of God. And there were some beautiful Christian, Christians who took me under their wing and were teaching me. But... Um, I felt that I needed to go, I felt I wanted to go back to Australia mm -hmm. and, um, and share the, uh, the gospel with my, with my family. And uh, so I just one day nicked off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've Elizabeth, where's Elizabeth? Elizabeth, have you heard of Buck Singh? Yeah. I, I've never heard of him. Anyway, they kept saying to Nick, wait for Buck Singh, wait for Buck Singh. Oh, come that's back. right. Yes, well, uh, it was... A, it was the Buck Singh Assemblies Fellowship there. So for those who don't know, Buck Singh, and I, totally unknown to me, was a foremost evangelist in India and planted something like 25,000 churches or something like that. 
just amazing. Wrote 30 books and people were saying he had the, the preaching skills of Dwight Moody and he had the teaching skills of Campbell Morgan. He was like an amazing guy, but you didn't wait for him. <laughs> they said wait for him. Well, he was in America um, doing a holy convocations over there. <laughs> Uh, so I thought, no, who's Buck Singh? Why, why should I, you know, why should I wait for him? <laughs> so you go back home and your dad says, fantastic, you found Christ, this is a wonderful thing, tell me more. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, I went back home uh, and God was saying to me, uh, don't, go to your don't go to your father's house. Well, I went, I went Are we seeing a theme here? <laughs> so, uh, Did you go to your father's house? I went. I, I disobeyed. <laughs> I went to my father's house. I, you know, I thought it was only the right thing. I had gone all that way to see him anyway. Uh, and then, and then God said to me, "Well, uh, uh, that's right." I went to my father's house, and they were having a Buddhist meditation retreat uh, with a with a Buddhist Lama from Nepal that they would brought down. You know, it was, it was pretty big, big concern. And um, God said to me, "Don't join them." <laughs> well, I joined them. <laughs> I was disobedient, you know. And, uh, uh, and then uh, the teacher said, uh, you know, uh, as you're meditating, you know, meditate on the Buddha. Or if you like, meditate on Jesus. <laughs> uh, Jesus, uh, and, and uh, you know, sort of have this meditation. And I, w I went up to that person afterwards and I said, look, I, I'm, I'm a bit confused. Why are you including Jesus? Oh, they, oh, no, we believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the love of God, but we believe that Buddha is the wisdom of God. Mm. And so I thought, well, that's an that's a amazing kind of revelation. And um, I was a goner. Uh, I, 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 fell out of, um, I fell out of the, um, the gospel message and I started creating my own. <laughs> if I, this may be out of uh, sync, but didn't your father react uh, quite aggressively to the fact that you'd become a Christian when you first arrived? You told me he punched you. Uh, Does that ring? Well, yes. Look, I, it, it, when was it? Forty-three years ago, and I, and I do get a little confused. But um, I, at first, I, I started trying to preach to my dad about Jesus being the only way, and he just got sick of it, and uh, he he punched me. So, and then I realised that uh, I, I better keep my mouth shut. So you're not. You don't still believe that Buddha is the wisdom of God, presumably, and Jesus is the love well, of God. So what happened well, after the, that? Yes, uh, uh, having spent a, um, quite a few months back in Australia, I wanted to go back to India and share this new revelation with, with my, uh, these, the Christians over there. So I joined back up with the, the Buxing Fellowship group, and uh, I sat in, in the back pews and I was meditating on Buddha <laughs> um, and I was quite a, quite a disgrace you know really when you think about it but um, uh, I went off to a quiet place and I was as I was sort of meditating uh, I opened up to Mark chapter 1 it was the first time I'd opened my Bible quite, for quite a few months and I read Mark chapter 1 Jesus the Son of God who went off, was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and was tempted of the devil. And after 40 days of, and nights of fasting, he, he came out in the power of God and angels ministered to him. And, um, and then he, he said, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know? And I, I, I got this revelation that Jesus is the only savior there is none like him. And I realized that I'd gone astray. And so from that moment onwards, I chucked out my Buddhism and I just followed Jesus. And then you spent, you were full time at a... And then I was in, allowed to stay there and learn and join the full time servants of God. There quite a few of them all in training and uh, went, uh, went off uh, preaching the gospel in the um, various outreaches, uh, various gospel campaigns that they had. Uh, they always um, invited me to, to go along because of my testimony mm. of how I found Jesus in India. Um, yeah. 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 
I'm going to probably truncate the story now just to say um, you've obviously been a Christian for a long time and you have, I mean, Jesus has spoken to you through his word and you felt um, personally, um, but you also had some trials. So um, your eldest son um, died tragically, you've had a stroke that affected your, um, yes. a lot of your concentration of memory and a marriage breakdown all within a couple of years. So I wonder, as well as, you know, we tell the story of God, but God is with us in the good times and he's also with the difficult times. How do, you, how do you process your life, including that? Finding Jesus, but also having great difficulty. Well, uh, after four years of serving the Lord in India, I came, came back to Australia and God um, led me into furniture restoration uh, I, I, uh, in Sydney. And uh, then I came down to Hobart uh, to help my mother and reconcile with my mother uh, and set up and, and got married to an old girlfriend who seemed to turn to the Lord and was baptized. Mm. Uh, her name was Anna. And uh, with her, we, I had four sons and she had a, a son as well, so five sons. Uh, living in Taruna, um, no, I, I've lost the I've lost the train of thought. Yeah, but, uh, so all I was saying, you've gone through a very difficult trial. You got the stroke. That's right. Loss of your eldest son. I, I remember Loss now, of yes. a marriage. Yes. How do you process? So uh, you know, uh, um, after twenty, let's say twenty-two years of marriage, um, uh, Anna, you know, wasn't really following. wasn't following the Lord at all, um, and. Uh, she wanted to. Uh, I, I, that's right. Um, one of my sons uh, was tragi tragically killed in a car accident when he was 17, um, and uh, I had a stroke shortly afterwards. And um, then Anna decided that she wanted to divorce me, so I, I had a. I had my furniture restoration business operating from home there in Taruna, so uh, I, we had I had to leave. Um, so God, God came and really helped me um, to to find to set up my business again at the Margate train, uh, and also. I think you said three things, Nick. To me, you said in relation to your son, you felt about God's saving ability and also God's sovereignty and also surrender. Maybe just talk about surrender. How, how, did that, how does that figure? Surrender. Um, well, I, I, you know, you just have to trust the Lord. When, when you're following the Lord, you just cast all your cares upon him for he careth for you. And uh, in, in, in the height of all this uh, trial that came my way, uh, I, I saw God's wonderful hand leading me um, because uh, he, you know, I, I found a new place to set up my business at the Margate train. And uh, one year after leaving uh, the house in Taruna, I was uh, walking down the aisle with, with my new wife, <laughs> Kate, getting married. And Kate had two girls, it was wonderful. Uh, on the eight, 18th of October, no, 2008. <laughs> well, thanks, thank God for your, your testimony, Nick. I think it, it's a great indication of God. I mean, there's lots of things. And maybe afterwards, I'll just ask you for five minutes, you and the audience, what we learn from this. For, for me, the, the sovereignty of God, but also the action of Satan, and also that the Christian journey is a long one and has ups and downs. Various people find various things, or God uses various things. To bring him to him, but thanks. Talk to Nick after. Do you want to know? There's a lot more to know about his story. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I'm, my my brain's gone all gone to mush. <laughs> no. That, <laughs> Sorry look, about that. <laughs> it, what came clear was honor honor to Jesus, and he's yes. taking through. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. He, yes he, he's he's my savior, and he's never left me nor forsaken me, and um, I, he's brought me to this church in a wonderful way as well. 
Yeah, it's a great testimony. Thanks be to God. And Amory will be very pleased that there's less time for her to be interviewed because <laughs> if there's anything she hates, it is being on the spot. Peel up microphone, Amory. I'm going to do Amory's in a slightly different way. No, she's got one. Thanks, Nick. You can, you can stay there if you like and be part of it. Um, have you got the slides up, Jason, as I go? I'm going to show you a picture of Amory. What, what's that occasion? Um, that is the little hall that we met as Jehovah's Witnesses in Margate mm -hmm. back in 71, yep. about that time. Okay, and you're sitting with your family there, with yes. your dad on your right and your mum on your left. Um, so tell me a bit about family church background. All right, okay. Um, you mean mum's uh, yeah, family that's background? Yeah, that's right. Um, Mum grew up in a Catholic family. My grandparents were Catholic. They kind of took it seriously and they kind of didn't. They had Lent boxes there ready and they did a lot of things. But your mum? But mum, um, yeah, mum was, grew up that way. But she came across things that she just didn't agree with and so she was the only one really that left the church fully, even though the others weren't strongly committed. And your dad? And, and dad was came out from Holland as a total non-interested in religion kind of person, totally. Okay, well something changed because a few years later you're there sitting in a Jehovah's Witness um, church, so did they come knocking at the door, is that the way your mum uh, got introduced to the religion? No, mum really, all my young life up till probably nine, mum was just always searching for, it had to be Christian, but she, um, she was searching for something else. And so I don't know how she went about that, really. I didn't take much notice. She was always talking about it. And I do remember her getting fully involved with the Radio Church of God for a while. But she, she got very sad there because there was no one to meet with. She was just listening to that. So did the Jehovah's Witness come and knock at the door? Is that the way? No. The, the, Jehovah's, well, the Jehovah's Witnesses did knock at the door when we lived in Lena Valley. But funnily enough, Mum never wanted to answer the door to them, and we all had to hide under the couch and <laughs> be super quiet. It's, yeah, she didn't want to. I don't know why, but she didn't want to answer the door to them. Okay, so then how did she become? Um, had they come into her life then, Jehovah's Witnesses? They came. They came in because Mum started to um, sew for Maya as a little job, and she stayed at home doing that. But there was a man there that brought the material to her as far as I remember. That's what he did anyway. He was fully involved with Maya. And his name was John. And he was from which country? I can't remember. Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. He was a really friendly, lovely man. Lovely man. Mm. And um, so mum and him got talking. And he, he said to her, like, he could send two older ladies around to study the Bible with her every week. And that's what she did when we were living in North Hobart by that time. But Okay, yeah. so what sort of age were you and what difference did that make to your life oh, coming to that religion? I, I would say I was probably about nine, something mm -hmm. like that. A bit made a bit of a difference because I had had birthdays up to that point. So all my cousins and uncle and aunts would come around and Christmas, we celebrated Christmas. All, we did all that stuff. Um, you know, Mother's Day, all that, Easter. But then suddenly that all stopped. Mm. Yeah. And Easter was special for you? Yeah, I didn't really mind the others so much, although I did think this morning it, I had this weird memory come back to me of Mum on Mother's Day and, and me being so excited to buy her little presents because the school that we were at must have had like little presents to buy your mum. And so I'd know, I remember really missing that and I'd never thought of it till this day. The Easter egg thing I miss too because going to my grandmother's on the Brooker Highway, like she would have, she would buy beautiful Easter eggs for all our cousins and for me before that. And so they're all in beautiful little boxes on the sideboard and they're wrapped in bright red paper and just what I like. So walking from the kitchen to the lounge room, I'd always see those, but <clears throat> we weren't allowed to have them anymore. Like mum and dad made very clear that that all had to stop. Mm. So, so, but you know, it, it probably only worried me once. I mean, after that, I got over it. And I've got to say that mum, mum kind of felt a bit bad about all that, I think. And she would always buy us kids a chocolate and 
around that time just a normal Cadbury's chocolate to make up for it. Yeah, and I think you said to me there's no Sunday school there, so meetings seem very long. And oh, you're asking me about the. the oh, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. Mm. Sometime, how did you feel about those? Yeah, well, at first it was very, very hard to sit there for two hours because they were quite dry. They're mm. quite dry. Such, you know, as a child especially, but even as I got older, you sort of go through a four-page magazine article with paragraphs and people just slow, but slowly read that out and slowly answer from the paragraph wrote words from the questions below and you just listen to that for three quarters of an hour and I would I just remember crying on the first occasion just sitting there I felt so stupid because I was nine mm. and I sort of looked at the other kids and no one was crying but I was just <laughs> so I couldn't stand it I wasn't used to sitting there and having to do that yeah, I've got no down here. Sometimes I felt like screaming and I wondered if others did too. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. they didn't look like they did, so I felt no. there was something wrong with me. But okay. you soon you soon lose all that and, and yeah. become part of the crowd and get used to it, even though I never really enjoyed it particularly. Okay. What's this book here? That's um, their Bible, the New World Translation. Yep. And so um, how familiar were you with, with that? Well, that's the only Bible we really looked at. Yep. And often that was really, they're big on proving their version of doctrine. So you're always looking at very, very similar scriptures all the time, just dotted throughout the word of God. Mm. But they also have on a Thursday night, they have a meeting that you go to. And, and for the whole week you are supposed to read, I think it's one chapter or two chapters of the Bible. And then someone gives a talk on that. But very... Not like we would. It's very Jehovah's Witness oriented. It will, they'll only bring out the section that suits them at the time and disregard anything else. So it's not it's not deep. Okay. So then um, now I've got a couple of verses up there. Um, these are ones where you noticed a significant difference between the Bible you're oh. reading, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, yep. and a normal Bible. So you want to tell me about that one? I think you're reading the Jerusalem Bible. Yeah, we did, um, we did have a Jerusalem Bible in the house because it mentions the name Yahweh in that translation. Jehovah's Witnesses as a whole, which is a very surprising thing. They, they don't mind their members having that one because they don't like the name of, Je of Jehovah being taken out. So for some reason that was okay. So yeah, I, I reckon... So you're reading yes, Jerusalem I would Bible. have read that one because I was reading it a lot because I was enjoying it. Um, Hebrews 11:16. Yes. Um, so Hebrews 11 is talking about the men of faith. Yes. yes and says that people yes, like Abraham yes. and Isaac and That's Noah right. and so on were looking for a better place. That's right. So when I got to that place that it says, well, first of all, like God has prepared a city for them, and it's one belonging to heaven. That was a shock to me. So that's what it says in the, in, the, in the New World Translation, belonging to heaven. Yes. Yes. So. Amory's, oh, I'll shortcut this and just say, Amory's reading the Jerusalem Bible. In Jerusalem Bible, it talks about these guys, Abraham and others, looking for the heavenly country and the city belonging to heaven. In Hebrews 12, it talks about the heavenly Mount Zion and all that kind of stuff. But in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, it doesn't say a heavenly country. It says one belonging to heaven. A bit like Russia. It's, I was thinking this morning, it's a bit like Russia and Crimea and saying, we're all supposed to end up in Russia, but actually Crimea belongs to Russia, so therefore... That's okay. So Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Abraham and Isaac won't go to heaven. So a verse saying they're going to a heavenly country doesn't suit them. So they say they're going to a place belonging to heaven, which is the earth. So they believe that they're going to be on the earth. It's, it's a complicated kind of thing, but for, for you, Amory, it was quite a shock to find. Mm. It's still, I must say, even in the New World Translation, that bit where it says he has prepared a city for them, mm. You're taught over and over and over that they're just going to live on the earth. There's no mention of a city. There's, there's nothing like that. So even that, all of that just threw me up. But it threw me in a good way. It was like, oh, you know, there's something, there's something, mm. there may be something different here than I'm being taught. So that was... I wanted to know the truth. So that was one of the significant things for mm. you. They've changed the yeah. Bible. And that one, Philippians 1. Yep. That was probably even a bigger shock 
because Paul's talking and he says, for in my case, to live is Christ and to die gain. Whereas what they're teaching on Paul would be is that he died and will be in the grave till Jesus comes back and then he'll be resurrected. So just reading that, it was like, well, it seemed to me like he almost had a, just, it didn't seem to make sense. Why would he want to, why is dying gain when in their version of things, because you're just lying in the grave and there's a special time when you come out. So it's no different if you live for 30 extra years yeah. and, then, and then die and you still wait for that same time. So it, it just didn't seem to make sense. So is that clear? So for Christians to die is gain because you're with Christ immediately. Yes, that's right. But Jehovah's Witness believe he would be in the grave for 2,000 years till Christ comes again. So not really much gain. He might as well stay here and do his work because <laughs> he's going to be dead mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. So, but basically what you're getting from that, and this is just two instances, is starting to see um, something about God that you really value, but also starting to see in your religion something different from, from, from Scripture. Because the Word of God is true yeah. and alive, and so when you read something like that, then you know that God has a different plan, and it's way more exciting than what, what any man has concocted. And it's about this time you start wanting to read the Bible? Yeah, yeah, I really did. I think partly because I'd seen so many verses that didn't seem to fit with what I'd been taught. And I just wanted to simply, I loved the church in Acts, and I just wanted to simply go back and read the Bible and see if I could just piece it together. Yeah. Piece it together myself with maybe looking things up sometimes, but not being told what to believe. And the yeah. church in Acts looks very different you yeah. felt than what you yeah, were experiencing in the Jehovah's Witness. Mm. Okay, so you're right, at this time you're writing down questions to ask, you know, inconsistencies. Um, and in terms of talking to God about this, was that happening as well? Were you praying? Oh, yes, I, right from the very beginning and way before this, I think, I don't know why, but I was praying for God to show me the truth. And especially that verse in Matthew 7, 7, which says, Ask and you'll find, seek. I'm going to get it all mixed up now, but you know the one. Yeah. Um, that one, it just kept going over and over in my head for years and years and years. And I was always looking, like I would look at the letters in the paper from Christians or if there was a bit of a, like when the Port Arthur massacre was on, I would like listen to the, what the ministers said. I saw David Jones's letter in the paper and thought he sounded very um, spot on. Yeah, I was just looking for something else because we're told, we're told that there's nothing else out there, that everyone else is following Satan. Mm. So you think you've got to stay, really. So you found a love for Jesus. And when you yeah. tried to share that, when you were reading stuff and getting excited about stuff you learned about Jesus, mm. what was the response you were getting? Oh, when I would say things to different people that I'd learned, and it was only out of just genuine love, it just felt a shutting down, a kind of staring at you suspiciously because you're talking about Jesus. Mm. Yeah, mm. and you said um, that you longed for someone to feel like you did. You kept... Yeah, yeah. So I would have loved to have just gone to other churches and checked out, you know, what, what they were like and what the Christians were like. But if I did that, I would be thrown out and that would, I, I could get one day out of that and I'd be thrown out of their church and never be able to speak to anyone again. So it puts you in a pretty bad dilemma. Okay. And I might just, maybe a couple of experiences that you had uh, midnight when we're on a train, another time on a train, just tell oh. how they factored in. Yeah, just, um, I'm sure God brought all these things across my path because I was praying, praying mm. for God to do that kind of thing. And it, it won't sound like a lot to anyone, but I was just on a train and I heard these two young men, I never even saw who they were, but I could tell they were young and they were so full on, one of them, sorry, was so full on for Jesus. Mm. And he was talking to another person and passionately trying to convince him in the most beautiful way. And just to hear the conversation, it was kind of a midnight and it was just lovely hearing that. Just to know that there are people out there loving Jesus was a huge thing. And the other one on the tram? The tram, oh yes. I was reading my Jerusalem Bible on the tram in Melbourne or somewhere, I think it was Melbourne, and this lovely man came up to me and, and said, I can't think what he said, so you're in the Lord too, he said, and 
and then he told me about a Bible study that he runs where he worked, and it was it was just a beautiful moment. Like, that's what happens when you go around, mm. even the world. You meet Christians all over the place. But I'm sure God was bringing those people into my line of focus. It was a journey. And part of the teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses, as Amory said, is that there are no other Christians out there. It's it's us or it's nothing. So those kind of people were a real confirmation that there are other Christians. There are people who know Jesus, who love him as much as I do. And so, um, and then these, oh, here we are, this, this book here, how does that factor in, this big old? Well, I think Paul picked these up from, you picked these up from somewhere. Yeah. Um, Why were they significant? Why, why is that book significant? Because, because when I couldn't find an answer to the Philippians verse. Yep. Right. No, keep going, yep. Yeah, when I couldn't find an answer to the Philippians verse about to die is gain, I yeah. decided to look it up in this commentary and I just went to bed and kind of read what he said and, and for the first time, <laughs> I knew it gets this. That's good. It's funny that a book can have such power, isn't it? I mean, these are old books. It's written by a guy in 1800. What was it about it? Well, for the first time, the answer was right. It talked about, it talked about why, Jesus, why Paul did find that to be gain, and it wasn't anything to do with the, the spin that I'd read, <clears throat> how they twisted the verses. Sorry, I'm going to have to have a glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'll, I'll read what you so, got here. So what I felt was joy, you know. I felt real joy and I really felt <clears throat> the connection with the spirit and I felt I had quite a spiritual experience. Yeah. This is a desire for Christ, isn't it? And mm. finding, that moment of finding him. I, yeah. I'll write what you wrote, which was immediately I felt a huge burden lifted and incredible feeling of joy that I'd never experienced before, a feeling I know was the Holy Spirit. Um, it's remarkable, but it's not remarkable, isn't it? Because Christ was taking on a journey, getting rid of the things that were holding you back and for the things that substituted themselves for him and yeah. you only wanted him and then you finally find him. So um, you, have a great, you have a great love for Jesus. You're seeing in, inconsistencies. I left the religion, but you stayed there for a little while longer, for another 18 months or so. Uh, what did you experience in the time that you were still there that cemented your view that the religion wasn't, wasn't right? Well, I hadn't been for, for a while myself and then I decided to go back for two years and um, everyone was so happy to see me, so it was like, I, it was so nice yeah. because of that, naturally. But, but as time went on, I realised they're not actually asking me much about you, like you weren't coming, that just felt weird to me. Um, I saw that there was a group of people had had this kind of party thing, get together thing, and it was um, it was Jeremy's age group of all the boys that went, and he wasn't asked. And I really don't know why all that happened, because they weren't hateful to me or anything, but they were trying to get me back. But somehow we were just being left out of normal things that we should have been included in. Mm. So whether that was, I don't, I just don't. Yeah, I think um, people can, often can't understand why you would stay in something like that, but the, because the, the training is so strong from a young age, what if they are right? Maybe they are right, maybe I'm thinking wrong, maybe the Satan's deceived me, there's that kind of thing. But uh, in my experience in Anne-Marie's too, there's that way where God is just weaning you away from these people, even close relationships suddenly aren't as close as they were before. Mm. And so all of those things, um, and even though together. I was there, I still believed this. Yeah. I still believed what I had seen in other um, commentaries and what I'd read in the Bible. So I thought I could go back under those circumstances, but then when I, I would be at the meeting and hear what they were saying, it was like, oh, this is so wrong, this is so wrong, so it wasn't a great place to be. Mm. Yeah. Okay, another significant moment, next significant moment, what are these? Right. Um, their BSF notes that I've joined a Bible study. Two, two different people from Murray Street Chapel asked me to that 
because that's where we're going at the moment, and they asked me to at that, that time mm -hmm. to that Bible study that was in town where a lot of women went, and I was a bit scared to go because we weren't we weren't um, we were still I was technically still a Jehovah's Witness at that point, and certainly not meant to be doing that, but I went and I loved it. I really loved because because we go through the whole Bible. And every single verse is explained and nothing's left out. And people can say what they think and they don't get treated badly. In fact, people love to see a bit of passion there. Yeah, you said it was mm. lovely to be free to talk it about was, Jesus. It for, was, and to hear other people time. talking like that. Mm. Yeah, it was good. Okay, um, so ultimately you get excommunicated, which means that you get it cut off from your um, family and from your friends and everybody you've ever known. Even, BSF even helped you with that. That, yes, that that's when I think I first realised, be, because I'd been going to BSF for, we got away with not being disfellowshipped for about two years, no one knew about this, and um, the very moment that they made the announcement that we were thrown out and people weren't going to talk to us, and I went to the Bible study, it was, it was Matthew 9, like you go systematically through it, and we were up to... Um, Matthew 19 and specifically verse 29 which talks about what happens if you leave behind fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers for Christ's sake you will gain mothers, sisters, brothers, fathers yeah. and, and that's what was happening because by that stage we'd been at our church two years and I had gained all that but also God, God saw to it that those were the very, very verses we were studying when that happened to me and and I think that's when I twig, God actually works in your life at mm. different times and you can see him working. And I just hadn't really experienced that before. But it was beautiful. And I, I thought, what? Yeah. I can't believe it. And you need that because what uh, what's really confronting about that situation is the first time you go out. We lived in Kingston. Everybody we know is in Kingston. You're going to see those people at the shop and they're not going to talk to you or they're going to turn away. And that, 